That's my song of the moment right there. I love that song. The chorus goes, all my fears and doubts, they can all come to because they can't stay long when I'm near to you. It's like, it's a new horizon and I'm set on you. Can you meet me here with mercies that are new? All my fears and doubts, they can all come to you. It's awesome. Right, it's so we're talking about God helping us, right? Everybody want God's help? Yeah. So help me God, right? So we're trying to figure out how. I'm going to show you how the Lord helps us. He doesn't just help you when you need it. Jesus is saying this with you. Jesus, Jesus is a long-term, is a long-term investor. investment. He's not short-term. He's long-term. Jesus invests in you for the long haul. He's not in and out quickly. And so a lot of times we expect Jesus to go, well, how does the Lord operate in your life? How does he help us? He just sees our immediate needs. His interest in him is not just in meeting your needs. His interest is in totally transforming It's going from cynicism, survival, success, significance. You have to recognize what he's doing in your life. If you can recognize what he's doing, you can partner with it. If you can realize that the Lord's work in my life is to get me not just to keep me in survival mode, but to bring me to a level of success where I'm sustained and I have enough to help other people. That's what success looks like in the Bible, right? You can have your own version of success and you can give it to the Lord and you guys can partner that up and he'll give that to you as well and he'll work with you on that. But what success is is that your life is sustained and you have enough to serve and help other people. Significance means you are influencing the world in a greater way. Your life matters. It's a crazy thing. You know, sometimes people think the Lord's jealous of them. He's trying to suppress them. This is just like the nonsense that you believe. Like, God's trying to hold me back. He won't give me what I asked for. No, you have no idea. He has so much for you. He has way more than you for you than you could ever possibly imagine. So the last two weeks, we talked, the first week we talked about how God awakens us and wakes us up. Last week we talked about changes in our life. One of the things that God does when he's helping us, he changes us. He starts making changes within us. And then we're going to talk this week about blind spots. He reveals blind spots. Anybody know what a blind spot is? Blind spots what you can't see, but everybody else can. Driving down the highway with somebody in your mirror, you can't see them. Everybody else on the highway can see them, but you can't. Blind spots are areas in your life where you have an issue. It's obvious to everybody else, but you just you can't see it. Blind spots cause our growth to be stunted. It's an area that's next to you can't see. It's okay to say this with me. A place where I lack clarity, insight, awareness about myself, my habits, my patterns, my reactions, or the way I relate to Jesus, people, places, or things. It's what it is. We have a blind spot. It relates to our behavior. It relates to our choices. Those are things that happen. So when a blind spot oftentimes is we're so focused on something, we can't see the immediate. So we should take a step back, and I want you to get a big picture, talk a lot about the big picture. You can see what God's doing. He's doing, he's doing a micro work in your life in order to do a macro work in your life, in order to do a meta work in your life. This is what he's doing. So he's working on you individually in a micro way in order to cause everything around you to change, and then ultimately to cause you to be part of a greater thing that's going on globally. This is God. God is a global vision. He has a vision for your life to make you a world changer. You say, I'm nobody. Aren't we all? Well, 
my, who was David? David was the shepherd boy on the backside of the desert. Well, no, David was seen Yeah, but did you know who David was before he became king? Forgotten by his father. Nobody even knew. Hated by his brothers. Relegated to the obscurity. Backside of the desert. Nobody knew he was there except Jesus. God has a goal plan for his intent. God's intent for your life, number one, is to save you, which is to bring you to himself, through salvation, repentance. I return to you, Lord. I give my life to you. I receive you, Jesus, as Lord. I don't understand this, but I choose to believe it. The first thing is to save you. Save you from what? From yourself. Save you from the consequences of sin that you were born into. We're born into spiritual consequences of sin. And that sin ultimately has eternal condemnation attached to it. We have to be free from that. The only way to be free from that is through acknowledgement as Jesus is Lord. He said, I don't understand it. He never told you to understand it. He told you to believe it. Say this with me. Believe, believe. and understand it. are two different things. Two different things. Two entirely different things. The guy here got born again. Dave was here in first service. Um, he got saved. I tell the story all the time. They couldn't come to Christ because he couldn't understand it. That's like using a computer. Because not, I'm not using a computer. I don't understand. I will not operate this cell phone because I don't understand it. I'm not plugging anything into that wall because I don't understand what all these things mean. That's the equivalent of that. We don't understand it. There's a lot of things that we believe in that we don't understand. We get on airplanes. We don't understand. Anybody here? Some of you might. You understand aerodynamics? He said, Jeff propulsion? Most of us don't. We don't even understand weight distribution that's required. We lift the plane off the ground. We understand that. We look at the thrusts. We do all physics. And we get on airplanes. You do not have to believe. You don't have to understand in order to believe. You came to Jesus. He's sitting with me at a restaurant called, you know what the restaurant's called? Lost and Found Saloon. Literally. At Lost and Found Saloon. So a bunch of his friends bring him to like, Pastor, you got to talk to this guy. This guy's hanging out in church. We think he's a fraud. We don't think he wants Jesus. We just think he's playing games. We need to talk to him. Let's talk. Let's have a conversation. They've been trying to work with this guy for six months. I get him to come. Dave's like, I just like hanging out with Christians. He's like, there's good people. I go, I go, that's what he's at. He goes, I come to church. I feel good. I just, I just really like it. He's like, it's just a positive environment. I just feel good. I like being there. You know, it's just like, a, a good thing. I'm like, okay. I'm like, so what keeps you from coming to Jesus? He's like, oh, it's like Santa Claus, it's like fairies, it's like gnomes. And I'm like, oh, okay. He's like, I can't believe in something I can't understand. I said, what's your heart tell you? He goes, well, something in my heart tells me this is real, but he said, I, I just can't buy into this because my head won't understand it. And I said, well, then turn your brain off, bro. I said, you can believe and not understand. You can believe and not understand. The church has a problem with this. I was a guy in another church that that. And the guy, they're like, this guy's not a Christian. He's not a Christian. I'm like, well, what makes you think he's not a Christian? They're like, he doesn't believe in Noah's Ark. And so when I talked to him, I said, do you believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God? He's like, yes. Yeah. Do you believe he died on the cross and rose from the dead? He's like, yes. I said, do you believe that he's personally capable of saving you and you believe in your heart? All the right questions. He said, yes. And I go, do you believe in Noah's Ark? He goes, no. And they're like, see, see, he's not a Christian. I'm like, the standard's not believing in Noah's Ark, bro. You know, it's not. Well, I don't believe that Moses is part of the Red Sea with the snake. I just don't believe that. So I'm like, well, okay, all right, I get it, all that. But that's not what it calls us to believe. It doesn't cause us to quantify every miracle in the Bible. It calls us to believe in something that we can't understand. 
He hung on our God who became man. He gave his life for us. He became like us to so bring back to him and be like him. God died so that we could be forgiven. We could be forgiven. Jesus, no one took his life and said, I, give, I lay my life down. I lay my life down. I pick it up again. Nobody took his life. It's God. God in the flesh came as a man, died on the cross, gave up his spirit willingly, and then raised from the dead. He said, if I believe in that, I can be born again and saved. Absolutely. You can give eternal life. You can be immortal. This goes on. Do you know right now, Walt Disney is in a meat locker, cryogenically frozen? Why? Waiting for immortality. Jesus is handing it out for free, man. I don't know what the lease is on that unit, but man, Disney's still paying on a lease. For Walt Disney's body is cryogenically frozen <laughs> because he wants to be immortal. He crushed your immortal. Yes, you ever thought about that? You are immortal. Yeah. You will live forever. People go, I don't want to be uh, floating around on a cloud with a harp. <laughs> Who told you it was going to be like that? The Bible makes no reference to that whatsoever. It's not one eternal worship service. I mean, if you know that again, when God speaks of his kingdom, he's not talking about we're just going to stand in the presence of God and sing songs of hallelujah from now until eternity. That's not the Bible either. Thank you. We're going to worship him, but we're also going to rule with him. We're going to rule and reign with him. The king comes, the king has a kingdom and he has a kingdom in heaven. He's going to bring his kingdom with him when he returns. When you die, you go to be with him, and you're rewarded for your service to him in this life. You're rewarded. He's going to give you a heart. Oh, there's your cloud, your cloud 12. Okay? Marcus Smith, cloud 12. Marcus Smith, cloud 12. And you're floating around praying. What's going on, Marcus? Nothing, Marcus. Oh, happy day, right? That's like, who wants that? It's a kingdom. We're going to rule. We're going to reign. It's true. It's so true. You put a heart you want. You put a jug, too. Spoons. I'm from Kentucky, so, you know, my family, my family's from like Brooks and Rasta. My mom's down, so I don't want to go with these jokes. Got one leg shorter than another. Anybody here? Appalachia. Got one leg shorter than another. <laughs> Jesus' desire is to save you. It's not just to save you, but to enjoy you with power. He calls you into a life that you have no ability to live. Christianity is a lifestyle. He calls you into a lifestyle that you have no ability to live. You can't do it. So he gives you power. He gives you spirit. Not only does he give you just power and spirit, the Holy Spirit is a foretaste of the world. You want to know what's going to be like in heaven? You take the Holy Spirit. For others. Yeah, for us. But people want to be drunk at this. They want to feel. Just watch this documentary and all these people in Los Angeles. I, you know, my wife would ask me, why in the world do you watch this? Because I'm like, I'm trying to understand. I'm trying to, I just, I try to understand like people's emptiness and brokenness and why they do the things that they do. And they pursue the things. Because they want to feel. They want to be alive. You know, they, they're so empty that they're just grasping for anything and everything in order to even feel. 
believe, just so I feel like I'm living alive. I want to do these things, just so I want to do these things, just so I got this sense of feeling that I'm alive. And again, Jesus was giving it out for free. And the Holy Spirit makes you alive. Anytime you want it. 24-7. 365. Holy Spirit, I'm alive. You don't really need dope for him, man. There's a guy, another guy, um, who came to Christ. And he just said, you know, for dope thing, he experienced the Holy Spirit. It's like it's like nothing else in the world. A lot of people, we don't understand addiction. We don't understand why people become addicted. Because you're created to be addicted. That's why anything that we so easily do is created in our nature. You become codependent upon drugs because you were created to be codependent upon the spirit. You have a hunger and a desire to feel alive because your life is in your spirit. We condemn these things. You can't condemn. If we're so naturally inclined towards it, I'm not talking about sinful behavior, we're inclined towards codependency. We become codependent very, very easily. We hunger for love, even bad love. Bad love. It can be twisted, it can be broken, it can be messed up, and we are just desperately hungry for love. And to not be alone. I'll be with anyone. Just don't leave me alone. Because you weren't created to be alone, right? My wife's been out of town for a week now. If she comes home and walks in the house right now, she's going to go, it is not good that man should be alone. <laughs> My son's walking around in underwear eating pizza every day. He's like, yeah. What are you going to do today, Dad? You not eat pizza? To do you without to give you the ability to do what you cannot do. Holy Spirit's everything. Everything. This is what He wants to do. When the Spirit comes upon you, you're going to be my witness. Your life is going to reflect me. I'm going to come out of you naturally and supernaturally. And you're going to be a witness. People are going to see you. You're going to influence your Jerusalem, which is your immediate life, not just your immediate life, but your immediate circle. This is the global plan God has for you. Not just Jerusalem, but Judea which is the greater area, then Samaria, which is a little further out, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. God has a global plan for your life. He wants you to be part of something that goes on around. I watch these celebrities and these stars. They go, oh, I'm going to change the world. I'm like, yeah, okay, I'm all in. I'm not going to be against anybody who wants to change the world. But I'm like, with what power and upon what basis are you going to change the world? You have no ability to do anything. Have you ever tried? Have you ever tried? I don't know. You, you can't move with it with Jesus. Church, the Book of Acts, they input, they influenced their known era, their known, the known world. That's what the Bible makes known. The known world was reached within one generation. It's the only time in history where the church reached the known world within one generation. What's the key? They had the Holy Spirit. They were reliant not upon denomination, not upon doctrine. They were reliant upon the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. They didn't have the Bible. That's why Ephesians needed to be written, because they had no understanding. That's why Colossians had to be written, they had no understanding. Acts is the, chrono- is the chronology or the, the, um, uh, the record of the events that took place. Corinth, they had no, Corinth is one of my favorite churches. Christians gone wild. Every, every form of carnality can be seen in Corinth. They were carnal like crazy. Carnal, selfish gluttons. Eating, and they call it to write a letter telling them, listen, man, when you come to the buffet, because they would invite the community 
because there wasn't a lot of food, so the church would, would form like a dinner, and they would call one of these, and they'd invite people, tell them about Jesus, and they'd got food here. And he would say, but you Christians, you're coming in here, and you're heaping your plate. It's heaping. So then the guy who's not a believer walks in, and there's no chicken left. But you got five pieces on your plate. And Paul had to go, don't you have a house to eat in? Why are you coming and acting like a glutton in the house of God and bearing witness against people? You know, so every form of carnality was there. They were sleeping with each other. One guy had his, had his stepmom. He dated his stepmom. And Paul's like, are you guys nuts? Are, are you guys crazy? And they're walking around. And so there's all this carnal behavior, but they had the spirit of power off the chart. They were manifesting power, miracles. All of the gifts were present in, in Corinth. But at the same time, all the carnality was on. So then the arrogant, the arrogant thing, our modern teachers, well, you see, the spirit always produces some form of carnality. Uh, yeah. And so does the word, teaching of the only unadulterated word of God. He only teaches the unadulterated word of God. And it produces carnality too. It produces religious pride. It produces religious arrogance. It produces a sense of superiority. It's as equally carnal as what they were doing. It's as equally carnal as carnal as taking five places of chicken and putting on your plate. In fact, it's more offensive to the Lord. When God says these things I hate, he never says taking the chicken off the plate and leaving what he does say a prideful heart. Yeah. He does condemn that. And so what we have to do is we have to marry the word with the spirit and we have to produce the righteousness of God in love with the word and with the spirit. Amen. True. We have, to, we have the ability to change the world. Somehow we've lost the idea or even the concept that we can do it. We can do it. We can do it. The corporate church, the power of the corporate church is a network. It's a network. We, by the grace of God, with the help of the Holy Spirit, are reaching well beyond our pay grade. Well beyond. But I love it. I don't want, I don't want what other people can do. I want what's impossible. <laughs> so the church corporate, we as a body, is a church. Like, who are we? We're no one. Well, we're going to do what we're going to do what others want. We're going to be what others want. That's just this, you know, like famous story from the uh, World War II when they put the end, when they put combat generals in front of the submarines. This general said, "This guy who became a submarine captain, he said, I can't promise you that you'll live or die, but I can promise you we're going to blood in the nose of this ship. We're going to take this thing into the fun. We're not going to sit on the sidelines and watch it all go by. We're going to take it right into the fun. Well, I can't promise you a whole lot, but I can promise you we're going to take it into the fun." That I can promise you. you know, and we're going to create something, and we have the ability. God is literally opening up doors. I just had a woman here this morning. I just like freaked out. And Hank gave me a prophetic word. Hank said, God will bring the nations to you. Amen. And so I've been like, kind of going, okay. And there's a woman that was here this morning, and she's from uh, Ghana. You're from Uganda. So she's from Ghana. But she said, I'm the tour guide for all of Africa. My daughters and I. Um, take groups, and she said, we go to all these different places in Africa, and she's like, I'm, I'm, I know all of she just is explaining this whole thing that she does, and I'm sitting there looking at her going, really? You know, <laughs> what are the odds of standing here listening to you who knows the nations and has access and knows all the things that need to be known about the countries? Like, what, what, what are the odds? I'm standing here looking at that, and I just hold on, you know, I don't know what's going to be you. And uh, I said, you know, we want to plant churches. And I said, well, I really feel like the Lord is telling me to do specific things, specific ways. And I said, uh, maybe we could work together and plant churches in Africa. And she's like, I'll help in any way I can. Uh, 
It's discerning. It's discerning the moment. You see, God, God works through the subtle. Right? He works through the wisdom, the small things. We think he's going to come with a thunderous war. Boom. Come to Africa. Elevate Miami Church. He doesn't do that. You have to be wise and discerning what you say in the moment or, you, or the moments pass you by. And you don't even have to look at it. But I immediately, as soon as she said that to me, I was like, I felt like power. I felt like the, you know, impression. And I just immediately, and then immediately I heard the echo, God will bring the nations to you. God will bring the nations to you. God will bring the nations to you. You know? And what does that mean? Are we so superior? No, we're willing. We're willing, okay? We're not just willing to do it on our own terms. We're going to do it on the terms that God has just set out. So we as, not just individually, say individually, what am I going to do? You're going to be part of a, part of a corporate group that pushes forward, pushes forward into the mandate that God has put upon not just us individually, but he's put upon us uh, as a church. I could go off on this. I could explain to you all the dynamics. The church has lost the church planning movement. They have. We used to be, a, the United States used to be a global church planning machine, and we don't do it anymore. But we do it. We make them denominations. It's almost pharisaical. You scour the earth to find one convert. When you find that convert, you think it's twice the child of hell that you are. You make them worse than you. You make them more religious. You make them more uptight. You make them more stupid than you are. Anyway, another story. He gives you the spirit. His desire is to give you power. His desire is to transform you. He foreknows you. This is the cool part. I won't, I won't get into this, but I'll just read this right here. He foreknew you. He knows everything about you. Warts and all, Christian. He knows it all. And you know what he does? In spite of knowing everything about you, he still gives you a predetermined destiny. Yeah. He still, people in this church goes, well, that's in heaven, Pastor. The predetermined. Who told you that? Where does it say that? Who said that at all? Or we create these uh, theological monuments about what predestination means. It doesn't mean anything other than what I just told you. It means a predetermined destiny. The idea of foreknowledge, there's other components to it, but just that basic understanding, he foreknew you. He knows everything about you, and he gives you a destiny. What? Well, God knew really who I was. I got to say it. Because he knew who he was, who I was. He knew everything about you, and he still gives you a predetermined destiny. And he can conform in the image of his son to become like Jesus. Maybe the first one around. He predestined the, uh, for the ones he's given a destiny to. He calls. It's the word kaleo. So he calls you out from. So he calls you out from and unto himself. And then he calls you from himself unto the world. It's always out from to him and from him unto. That's priestly ministry. It's actually what it is. From unto. From unto. That's that's what it means. From us unto the Lord. From the Lord unto the culture. That's the dynamic he's giving here. And not only is he calling you out of a culture, he's calling you out of mindsets, he's calling you out of lifestyles, he's calling you out of habits, he's, he's calling you out of everything. Amen. Everything. Yeah. The call upon the Christian, the calling upon the Christian isn't just to come to Christ. The calling upon the Christian is to come out of everything. Christianity itself is a lifestyle. You wouldn't know it by the way we did, or the lifestyle that we present is anything but kingdom oriented. A bunch of religious stuffy statues. I'm just living holy for Jesus. God help me. And I want to be like you. Why? We should be the most alive people on the planet. We should be the most happy people on the planet. 
I mean, people say, you know, this is feedback I get sometimes. People go, what church do you go to? They say it to a lot of our people. They always ask me what church I go to. But you're just not like it all. Like, that's right. You're not ordinary, nor shall we be ordinary. Yeah. We refuse. And he not only calls you, he justifies you. So he gives you an identity, he gives you a purpose, and you say, what right do you have to any of these things? Because Jesus justifies you. He justifies you. You are justified. In other words, he says you're a son. Nobody else said it. He said it. And he has the authority. So even when devils themselves challenge your right, Jesus has just that. There's a woman here. She's in first service. She's like, I love it when you say that. And um, she tells me, um, she's like, every time you say, I'm a son, you make us say, I'm a son and daughter of God. She's like, I feel such power. She's like, I just feel that power. And I said, it's the spirit bearing witness in your spirit that you are a son a daughter of God. And I said, it's also the power of justification that's coming over you. Justification is saying, this is true. This, yeah, this, this is a daughter. This is a son. Not based on you. Whom he justified, he glorified. His whole intent is to make you weighty. That's what the word glory means. It's to give your life substance in order to transform the world around you. Well, we'll go into all that. One of the things that hinders us from going forward is blind spots. What happens with the blind spots is we start moving, but there are things around us that we can't see or things around us that we refuse to see, and either one of those causes us to get stuck in the middle. Stuck in the middle of transformation. Michelangelo famous statue, I got to see it when I was in Italy. Um, it's half-finished statue. And no one knows what it really is. They're only guessing what it is because he never finished it. Never finished it. Well, you know, good reason he died. But nonetheless, he, he, he was stuck in the middle of, of, of making this thing. A lot of believers are unformed works of art. You're unformed. Chip the stone and the hammer chisels on your life, and you don't like it. It cuts. It cuts. They also ask him, I love this quote. They said, when you, how do you choose what you're going to, to, to sculpt? You know what he said? Anybody know what he said? Famous saying. He said, I free the image that's in the stone. He said, I don't tell the stone, the stone tells me I free the image. Jesus is trying to free the image of the stone. Christian. When the chisel and the hammer can play into the stonework of your life, cutting things away, chipping things away, forming and shaping things, he's not harming you. He's trying to free the image that's in the stone. He's trying to release it. Unfortunately, most of us, we don't like it. The one that's sculpting us and making us and molding us, we stop it. So we get uncomfortable. We don't like that. I don't want to do that. Or we're blind. And so somewhere along the line, our blind spots inhibit him from going forward or inhibit him from continuing to work in our lives. We refuse to see our blind spots a lot of times, but we can't see our blind spots because we have rejection issues. So that we immediately have a paradigm that we, that we don't want to see anything negative about ourselves. Because we feel like if there's anything negative about me, it's going to make people reject me. Survival of the fittest is the way of the world. That's not the way of the kingdom. The strong consume the weak, right? That's the cultural mantra. God says, my strength is perfected in the weakness. Weakness is all about the kingdom. If you want to try to posture people like you're strong, you're not going to make it very far in the kingdom because it's all about the weakness. I didn't say pathetic. I'm not talking about being a sniveling mini. I'm so weird, oh, carry me around. <laughs> carry me around. I just want the strength of God to be perfected in me. That's why I'm so weak. That's not the point. We are 
rejected, reveals our weakness and our insecurity. That's what happens. So all the way through, or our inability to change. A lot of times we see our blind spots. If we don't see them, there's a reason. We just may be completely ignorant, or we willfully, willfully ignorant. There's two different worlds. It might be just ignorant because you don't know, or you might be willfully. I don't want to know. That's the other side. Or you might see your blind spots or see the issues in your life, but realize I don't have any ability to change this. And so you see that you have an issue, but you realize I know I have that problem, but I can't change it. So rather than fighting the fight of futility, I choose to ignore it. Does anybody know? You just end up giving up and healing it. It's normal. Or here's the other normal, crazy normal. Everybody tells you there's an issue with you. Nobody has any time has that issue. Why? Because crazy's been normal to you your whole life. You've been crazy your whole life. So everybody else looks at you and sees the issue, but you can't see it because you've been that way your whole life. Crazy's normal. I got married. I've been married for a long time. We got Sharon and I love counselors, so I just want to tell you that. We pretty much exhausted marital counselors, like probably our first seven years of marriage. Went to marriage counselors so much. I'll tell you two, two quick stories. One counselor looked at us and goes, I have never uh, <laughs> met a couple like you. <laughs> then the other guy looks at us and goes, because we at this time had been to counseling so much, and of course we're Christians, so we, you know, we're reading books, you know, we're trying to figure our junk out, because we both come from brokenness, and you know, so we're coming out of a broken background, trying to move into wholeness, and so we're, we're exhausting every resource that we can, and then the other counselor looks at us and goes, what did he say to us? He just goes on. After he listens to what we had to say and everything, and he goes, I, 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 uh, I just don't want to help you. <laughs> Never met anybody like you. And man, I don't know how I can help you guys. I mean, I'm like, I don't, I don't have a clue here. And what, one of the problems when I went to the counselor, so here's the blind spot. Here's, here's one of the areas where crazy was home for me. My wife, in the early days of the marriage, probably two or three years in, She'd say that you have an anger problem. You really you have a temper. You have an anger. You, you know, and, you know, whatever. There's a lot of factors. She wasn't like you know Pollyanna and you know, in the marriage either. And I'm not pointing point fingers at her, but but I had an anger issue, but I didn't realize it. And I was reacting, and I was being angry, and I was you know, what what to a woman is would be like intimidating. Right? Guys would talk to each other different ways, and we might look like we're arguing, but we're like, what? We're just talking. But to her, she she expected it. To, Response. And she goes, You have an anger problem. I don't have an anger problem. I don't have an anger problem. I said, No, she you have an anger problem. And then I go to a, I go to a counselor with her, and she tells him the whole thing. You know, he goes, This is what she said true. And I said, yeah, About 75%. He said, 25% she's coloring. Because what she was saying didn't seem bad to me. I'm like, That's okay. Yeah, all right. I get it. She's a little escalated. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, but he feels disrespected. He does this. I'm like, Yeah, but he. He does it when this, when this happens, when this happens, he does this. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The guy goes, this, so is this true? I go, yeah, this is true. I said, about 75%. He said, half of what you just said is true. You have an anger problem. We're going. Paradigm lines. I don't have an anger problem. <laughs> wife telling me, and then this dude telling me, then he tells me a crazy story because he meets with me one-on-one. -on -one, right? This is always good when you get a counselor that says this, okay? It's not just funny stories. Uh, whatever. He looks at me and goes, it's okay if you have an anger problem. Watch this. I have rage problem. 
anger management, right? He looks at me and goes, I used to sleep in a bed with my wife. She had low vagina size like that. You guys are all shocked. I mean, this is what the dude's telling me. I mean, he's, of course, he's now transcending that time in his life where he slept beside his wife with a loaded gun beside his bed while dealing with his rage problem. But nonetheless, you know, so that's, again, a, a crazy story that happened through counseling. You know, it's just nuts. <laughs> so crazy is normal to us. And a lot of times we can't see the issue. And I could have easily said, I'm not going back to that guy. I could have easily said that. There's no way. I'm not going back. I don't believe it. This guy, what right do you have to tell me? What right do you have to tell me? You don't know me. Don't tell me I have an anger problem. Because in my mind, I didn't. My dad did, and my grandpa did. I'm tepid, man. I'm like tap water. You should have seen my old man. Woo! My grandpa, forget it. Black label beers in him, and he was off to the races. I mean, come on, that brother was down. I mean, I didn't see it, but it was told to me. So, what I did is, I was a believer. It was hard for me to digest. I had to deal with the Lord. This is how the Lord taught me. When you take your issues to the Holy Spirit, He's going to help you if you listen. If you shut up, if you stop fighting, and you just, and I go, Lord, I have an anger problem. The Lord told me, anger, Kevin, is a secondary emotion. And I had, literally had a picture of a rocket going up. That was what I saw. This was even before I was kneeling in prophetic circles, so to speak. But I had a vision of a rocket going up. And the Lord told me, your anger, anger is never a primary emotion. It's always driven by something. And so what's the next question? What's driving my anger? And then it gave me disrespect. And then I went, see, she disrespects me. That's what makes me so mad. Not the answer either. Lord, we go with disrespect. She may be disrespecting you, but your response to disrespect is not appropriate. Your response is being fueled by something that you perceived long ago. Paradigm blindness. It's completely blind. That counselor didn't tell me that, but you know who did? The wonderful counselor. The Holy Spirit. And he will tell you. But the things that he tells you are going to be offensive and they're going to be honest. So I told first service, that's the first thing he does. In the beginning, he's going to give you gumballs and he's going to give you like jelly beans because he wants you to know that it's safe and he loves you. But as you mature with him, you grow with him, he's going to offend you. He does, right out of the gate. He offends you. Jesus is a rock of offense. I don't even know that. He'll tell you, right out of the gate. Do you know why? When, when it comes to us, sons and daughters, the, he wants to know what he's dealing with. That's what he does. The Holy Spirit needs to know. What am I dealing with here? And so he'll offend you. And you can watch for the response. He'll go, you have an anger problem. What? Or he'll go, that one might be obvious. And then you'll go, I got an anger problem. But you'll watch for the response, but he'll offend you. He'll say, um, your words, you use your words like daggers. And you wait until he gets you. And then you go, I do not. I do not, I don't use my words like that. There's no, I don't, no, I don't, no, I don't, no, I don't, no, I don't. Okay. Or you run in the corner, suck your thumb, put your diaper on, and, you know, get your little blanket on and fall 
looking for it, he wants to know what he's doing with it. And what, you, what the foundation of everything is that you know that you're loved. And so he's trying to see, by offending you, do you know that, I'm, that you're loved? Because it doesn't matter what your issue is, he can do nothing. He can do absolutely. You can look glory on me, and like, I see that. What do you say? I'm just not just telling you I feel power. It's all I'm telling you. Anyway, if you have your thing, I have mine. This is mine. I feel power. I feel power in you. I feel the rush of power when I'm saying this. He wants to know what he's dealing with because he cannot do anything in your life until the foundation is laid that you know that you are loved. It is not a gnosis, it's not in your mind. Oh, I know God loves me. Oh, yeah, God loves me. God loves me. Jesus loves me. Yes, I know. Oh, the Bible tells me so. It's not that love. It's when he offends you that you are able to come back to him, knowing that he loves you. Knowing that what he's saying to you is not to hurt you, it's to help you. So when he says to you something that's hurtful, and he'll look at you, and you'll go, that wasn't Jesus. Jesus would never say anything hurtful to me. Yes, he would. Yes, he would. He doesn't tell you what's wrong with you. If you he's not going to tell you anything unless you ask him. He won't. He'll leave you with your dysfunction now until the day you leave him. He'll leave you with it. He's not going to help you any further than you would want it, and he's not going to help you any further than what you allow him to. He will not do for you what you are not willing to do for yourself. He will not. Well, Jesus is going to help you with my anger, not unless you want it. And so you would sit there and go, Lord, I don't understand. I don't understand. Why does my husband reject me? Why does my husband want to be around me? Why does he, why does he snarl or sigh every time he walks in the room? You ask him, he's going to say, you word, use your words like daggers. You beat him down. Now, he won't even go that far. He'll just say you use your words like daggers. That's it. He's going to say that. And then you'll see. Are you going to deny it? Are you going to run in the corner? In those two areas, testify whether or not you know who you are. And that's the first thing. He, why do you think we preach identity here? Why do you think I tell you things? Like, God loves you and are your worst. I tell you that because it's got to be reinforced. Because everything in the kingdom comes from that center. And it's not a flipping head knowledge. Oh, I know I'm loved. I know I'm loved. Robotic Christians. Oh, I know God loves me. Oh, God loves me. Oh. A bunch of robots. And the first time, the first problem that happens, they're crying, why me? The very fact that you're saying, why me, tells them you don't know who you are. You know who you are. You're taking a victim posture. As soon as you go, why me, you don't know who you are. As soon as you, as soon as God says something hard to you, you run away. I get Christians, oh, I didn't like what you said, Pastor. I didn't like what you said. Well, what, I don't even know what I said. Which part of the, what part of the 45 minutes did I give a sentence that offended me? God help us that we not be offended in church. Oh, God help us. God help us. When there is no challenge, there is no change. It's not, it's not an offense. It's true. It's not a personal offense like, you know, uh, you know, I don't know, you're stupid or something. It's not like a direct personal offense. It's a challenge into the way that you're making decisions or the way that you're choosing. And that's how he does it. He'll look at you. If you ask him, he'll tell you. If you don't ask him, he won't tell you. Why does my wife not want to be around me? Why does she speak so disrespectfully? Why, Lord, does she use her words like daggers? You know when I would complain to the Lord about my wife? 
wouldn't answer me. There's certain prayers that we don't, he doesn't answer. He doesn't speak in that context. So if you get the Holy Spirit to speak to you, which he loves to speak to you, you have to speak to him in, your con- in his context. If you speak outside of his context, he doesn't speak to you. So when I would say, this about Sherry, and that about Sherry, and this about Sherry, and that about Sherry, he doesn't recognize the Sherry that I'm talking about. He doesn't see her that way. That's not how he sees her. So when you say, this about your husband, and that about your husband, and this about your husband, this about your wife, and that about your wife, he doesn't know who, 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 who you're talking about here. I don't know who you're talking about. But when I would ask, oh, it's amazing. Oh, it's amazing. Ask him in his context and watch him answer. He answers like immediately, like, like that. It comes clear, it comes quick, it comes quick, it comes direct. When you, when you speak to him in his context. So if I would say to him, why does my wife use her words on me like daggers? And he'd go, because you don't love her. Are you nuts? What do you mean I don't love her? I married her. I got a ring on my finger. I'm here, aren't I? I've endured two years of a beatdown, God. What are you going to take? What are you going to deal with it? Nothing more. Then when I would go back to him and I'd say, okay, Lord. Where am I not loving you? Where? I'll give you the revelation of my marriage. And he would go, why don't you ask for it? Or he would say something along the lines, with your words and your time. And then I would try to make it up. i try to do my words right and try to do my time work, and that would just completely fail. So I'm shooting at a target, and she's not telling me where it is. Anybody been in your room? We're trying to aim at a target. Just tell me where to shoot. Tell me where to shoot. Well, I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? It changes. It changes. The target changes. Yeah. Can you tell me when the target changes? Can you tell me? So I go there. So then this wasn't working. I'm like, I give her my words. I give her my time. So what am I supposed to do now? This is my, this is my conversation with the Holy Spirit. Well, why don't you ask her? Why don't you ask her? So I'd ask her. And she'd be offensive to me. She was insecure. She didn't want to tell me. She'd feel vulnerable. And she said, if I tell you what it means, what, what you're asking, just, she didn't say this, but her reaction to me was like, oh, you're not going to do it. Yeah, you know, just some, like, whatever, little sticky kind of way that in the street, like, men speak, like, bears and demons and stuff. You know, like, little chihuahuas, like, bulldogs. Like, so I would ask her, and she'd be insecure. She would tell me she'd react negatively. I'd go back to the Lord on that. And he gave me this phrase. He gave me this phrase. He told me. Tell her to teach you how to love her. I got one in there. I got one in And so I went to my wife. After all of that, after all of that, my intense frustrations, the Lord says, love her with your time and love her with your word. Okay. Off I go. Flowers. What do you bring? I don't flowers. Okay. But hey, I'm like, I'm like shooting at everything. Nothing's working. Then I go, oh, okay. I learned long ago complaints go up. So I go back to work. I'm like, it's not working. It's not working. I've done the time. I've done the work. What do I do now? Because I ask her. I'm like, I don't know how to ask her. We won't ask her. We won't ask her. We won't ask her. Someone won't ask her. <laughs> you see me in a room doing this, you know I'm talking to Jesus. I'm like, Isn't that crazy? What's he doing in there? I don't He's just talking to the Lord. It's all there, too. This is the kind of conversations I have. I have real conversations with Jesus. I'm not sitting there going, oh, solemn heavenly father. 
God, this is a cool verse. I will lead you blind by the way they do not know, and paths I will guide them, and I will make darkness into light, and in the rugged places into flames. These are the things I will do, and I will not leave them undone. God is working in your life, and he will lead you into the dark areas. This is what he's doing. I'm not going to leave these things undone. I'm going to take the rugged, rough areas of your life, and I'm going to make them smooth. This is what he's doing. I'm going to take the blind into a way that he doesn't know. He's going to take you into lands of emotional uncomfortability. He's going to take you into lands of habit. And he's going to confront you in areas and ways that no one ever confronts you. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. That's what he's going to do. He's going to wound you and offend you because he's faithful to you. He's going to tell you what nobody else would dare tell you. Positively and negatively. He's not going to give you the negative. It's not like there's something wrong with you. What the idea here is this is important enough too. Say this with me. There is nothing, nothing in Jesus' eyes, eyes that is wrong with me. Everything that was wrong with me was on the cross. So now, hold on, I'm not done. Hold on. So now, come on, help me. Now, it is no longer an issue of what is wrong with me. It's only an issue of what is missing. That's the question. It's not what's wrong with you. What's wrong with me, Lord? He's going to go, there's nothing wrong with you, Kevin, but I'm going to tell you what's missing. What's missing is you believe a lie. What's missing is that you allow the lie to influence you more than truth. That's so truth is missing from your life. That's what he's going to tell you. God's not going to, so when you sit there and deal with God on the area of what's wrong with you, he's not going to tell you that. You've got to speak to him in the context. You've got to talk to him. Lord, what's wrong with you? He doesn't tell you what's wrong with you because there's nothing in his eyes that's wrong with you. If you ask the Lord what's missing in my life, or what is the root of my behavior, why do I do what I do, he'll answer that. But he's not going to answer a question that's, when you ask it that says, what's wrong with you? Because again, in his economy, nothing is wrong with you. In Christ, you've been made whole. And that's it. That's why when people speak negatively about you, he doesn't even know who they're talking about. When you speak negatively about you, Lord, I'm a loser, I'm a victim, like, who, who are we talking about you? Who are you? going to take you these places. There's spots, they're not the sum of who you are. There's issues in your life that have to be dealt with. How do you recognize your blind spots? Number one is patterns over time. Look back on patterns over time. You ever look back and go, why do I keep doing this? What is wrong with me? That's what we ask ourselves. That's not what God will tell you. He will leave a lie. Most of the time, our negative behavior is rooted in a lie. I'm not lovable. Who told you that? I, no one likes me. Who told you that? I'm not wanting you. I said, a woman at the prayer night, the worship night, she said, oh, I just wanted to let you know I stopped coming. I said, wow. Then, right, I'll give you two stories. First woman comes to me and goes, man, I walked in this room. She'd never been here before. She said, I immediately heard the Holy Spirit go, welcome, welcome, welcome. She said to me, and she's like, I just, I don't know. She's still like, we were welcome. Then this woman comes to me and goes, she, she's been here for a while. She goes, I stopped coming because I didn't feel welcome here anymore. I said, really? I said, who told you that? I said, did anybody tell you that? She said, no, I just started doing it. I said, well, did, is there, did, did, did I give you any indication of that? She said, no. I said, did anybody hear you give anything? She said, no, I just felt that way. I said, you're believing a lie. I said, no one told you you were welcome here. Nobody told you anything. You're, you're being influenced by a lie. That's just the facts. You know? A lot of times, the issues in our life are influenced through lies. We believe lies. I'm not accepted. I'm not lovable. Whatever, whatever it is, it's rooted in a lie. Patterns of behavior over time. What do people say about you over the years? What is consistent? What have people said that's been consistent about you? 
That's a blind spot. You have an anger problem. No, I don't. No, I don't. What does scripture reveal? Does scripture reveal contradictions? Right? Contradictions, let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth, but only what you can edifying that it by grace of the ear. Does that contradict with how you speak? If it does, that's a blind spot. See, I don't have a problem telling people when you cut people down or anything like that. Well, if it doesn't impart grace, you're contradicting what God has. So what does scripture reveal? Scripture creating a contradiction with or showing you a contradiction with your behavior that's revealing a blind spot. What is the Holy Spirit revealing? There's lots of things the Holy Spirit's revealing. Where are you refusing? Slide. Say this with me. Blind spot. Don't go away. Say this. The older I get, the older I get, the worse they become. The worse they become. That's why Christians, the older that they get in churches, they become more and more dissociated from the church because they don't, they never really deal with their issues. When you're in your 20s, it's really easy to hide stuff because life doesn't challenge you with the same thing you're over. If you don't, if you don't deal with your issues, the older you get, the more they become entangled in your personality. It just creates this really weird, this really weird thing. You, you can still be healed from it, but oftentimes the older that you get, the worse the blind spot becomes. Areas where we're blind, spiritual blindness, paranoid blindness, personality blindness, emotional blindness, spiritual blindness. You can be a non-Christian, so we oftentimes think of non being spiritually blind is because we don't know Christ, so there's groups of people that don't know Christ, they're spiritually blind. But Christians can be equally spiritually blind. They can be blind to how the Holy Spirit works. Completely blind. Don't know anything about how he works. Don't know anything about how he speaks. Blind. Willfully ignorant. Don't know anything. Or they just don't want to know. Sometimes the, the, their, their, their unwillingness they don't want to know the Holy Spirit because it doesn't line up with the denomination's teaching. It doesn't line up with the theology that they learned when they were in Bible school. You get that all the time. There's no real valid reason why people, certain people believe certain things other than the fact that they willfully don't want to believe. Spiritual blindness, we need to know who the Holy Spirit is. We need to know how he operates in our life. We need to know what he's doing. He's the manifest government of heaven. He's the legal authority given by Jesus to take from what is his. Jesus makes a statement in John. He says, everything the Father has is mine. In other words, I'm in total equal standing with the Father. So everything the Father has, Jesus owns, right? What does God, what does the Father own? Everything. I mean, literally, in every, in every realm, he owns it all. And Jesus said, everything's mine, and everything I have is yours. And when the Holy Spirit comes, he will take from what is mine and make it known to you. And so the Holy you cannot even know what your inheritance is. You can never manifest your inheritance without the Holy Spirit. Who in the world are we giving him that? The Holy God gives us promises. He gives us all of these horrendous gifts and, and, and things that are just in a package. Like they're more than a conqueror. What does that mean? I don't know. Let's open the box. Let's find out what that means. You know? I mean, we're world changers. What does that mean? I don't know. Let's open the box. Let's discover what this means. Let's just let's push into what this means. The, the Spirit of God is the one who makes these things known. He manifests these things. Without Him, we're completely lost, blind. But yet we are blind. Paradigm blindness. Patterns are lenses by which you think. We think, we, we think in patterns. We think that God's not loving. Who told you that? Who told you that? We think, well, we, we filter things. 
I know Christians, denominational Christians, they filter everything through doctrine. Everything, and it's not just a Bible doctrine. I'm not talking about that. It's through the church's doctrine. It's through this. There's different types of culture. There's the culture outside, and there's Christian culture, and then there's the kingdom culture. We, as believers, are not called into church culture. I hate to inform somebody of that. Okay? Somebody's going to want to lay fists on me after I say that. We're not called into a church culture. We're called into a kingdom culture. And I'm all for church culture as long as it doesn't conflict with kingdom culture. When church culture conflicts with kingdom culture, we have a problem. That's the issue. It's personality blindness. I'll just talk about this. I'm going to jump down here because this is important. We talk a lot about paradigm blindness here, so I A lot of you, there are issues with your personality that are not issues at all. They're actually misaligned strengths. Anybody ever tell you something like this? Um, you're too intense. Anybody ever said that? Is somebody different? Just next to you. Okay. You're going to hit one of these categories because some of us are intense. Some of us are, you know, you're too passive. You're a doormat. You let everybody walk on you. You talk too much. You talk too little. You always have to be right. You don't take no for an answer. You tell it like it is. Somewhere along the line, you've been told that in somewhere, in some form of what I'm saying here. My word to you is you cannot change your personality. You're wired that way. What we typically try to do is flip the person to somebody who goes, you talk too much. So now we design ourselves to total silence. I now don't want to be silent. I've taken a vow of silence because I talk too much. Good luck. <laughs> What's that going to last you, Father? Five minutes? <laughs> last too long at all. And the reason is, is because you're trying to invert something that God has created and wired in your personality. It's unique to you. And what you need to do is, is redeem it, realign it, learn it, and use it to its maximum benefit. That's the big deal. So if you're a talker, you're probably an amazing prayer warrior. People that talk always tell me you need to pray. You need to pray. You need to just go in on it. Other things is like when you speak, choose your words carefully. Fire words out in empty space. Choose them carefully. Learn when to speak and learn when to listen. Not every not every moment is an opportunity to speak. Not every moment is an opportunity to say something. A lot of times I go to people share something with this pastor. I'm here to listen to you guys. I don't want to necessarily share unless it's something that's needed. And you, you know, but so there's a time to talk and there's a time not to, right? So if you're passive, it's like if you're more happy about people taking I would say to you, what you really are is a deep, generous, and compassionate person who doesn't know how to blame them know. That doesn't necessarily mean you're a doormat. It means you're wired with compassion. It means you're wired with empathy. And what's happening is, is that, again, just like a person that talks too much, or doesn't know how to use the gift of communication that they've been given, it's not a personality fault. It's being used, it's being misappropriated. You have and empathy, not everybody has that level of generosity that you have. Most people can't understand that level of empathy, but it's, it's nothing to you. And what happens is, is that people take advantage of it because you don't know how to own them know. And what you need to know is to begin to learn to discern the Holy Spirit, not your emotions. Generosity is easy for you. Compassion is easy for you. Discernment is your gift. That's where you need to develop yourself. You ask the Holy Spirit, should I do anything wrong? You know what tell you? Sometimes it's going to go, I feel so bad. He's not trying to get off right So if he says yes, you're going to go in. And you won't even have a question. You'll be compassionate. But if he says no, he's not, he'll teach you to say no. So my point here is 
that personality blindness, people will say things about us that we think and we'll view ourselves in, in a negative light when in fact it's how we're wired. It's how we're wired. Some people that talk very little, you're not you, you what you need to know is you're probably a deep and introspective thinker. You probably don't like to speak much because you want to be educated on what it is that you say. You want to you may believe a lie that you have nothing good to say. There may be some lies in there. That may be true too. But the other thing is that you may you need to, you may also So you were created this way. See it as a strength, not a gift. Next slide. See the strength and a gift, and allow it to be as you can be purpose. Next slide. Last one. Emotional blindness. This is the big one. Okay? This is where your little twitches come from. You act all weird. I don't act weird, Pastor. I just don't leave the house much. Okay. I only leave the house a couple of nights. No weirdness of my own. Coping mechanisms that have been developed over time, rooted in lies and trauma, something painful has happened to you. A lie has happened to you. So that out of the wound and the trauma, we, we have all of these emotional behaviors that's clear to everybody else, but it's not clear to us. Right? So I knew a woman, she struggled very deeply with fear, and her behavior, every time was just really frantic. She was just frantic. All the time. She was frantic. She was deeply frantic. What's wrong with you? Why, why are you doing this? What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? Why do you act that way? Why are you doing this? And she just was super frantic. She didn't even see she had a problem because she wasn't supposed to see as a kid, but she was normal. But she would act frantically all the time. She felt frantic. frantic. Why? She's like, I'm just another not realize, man, all this shit talks about is worry, fear, and trepidation. Something's gonna happen. Oh, I don't know about this, what about that? I'm not sure about this, what's about this? I'm like, wow. And so what is happening? She's coming out of the womb, she's coming out of the trauma, she's manifesting emotionally. Not you know based out of the womb. So examples as you reject others before you reject you. Oops. A lot of people do this. They get in relationships and they immediately reject the person before they reject you. They treat the person poorly because they themselves believe a lie, or they've been rejected, or they feel that they're not worthy of love, especially when they're in a good or good environment. So they'll end up rejecting the love before that love in their mind rejects them. Boom. Social anxieties, there's no such thing as social anxieties, Christian. I hate to inform you this. Yes, there is, Pastor. I know and I have them. Really? So Jesus is going to create a kingdom with 10,000 times 10,000 angels. He's going to, into this kingdom, he's going to bring every nation, every tongue, and every tribe. But he's going to reserve a special place in the corner for all those with social anxieties. There's no such thing. I'm not saying you don't have social anxieties. I'm telling you that the social anxieties are coming out of the womb. The social anxieties are coming from another place. They're not coming from the Lord. They're coming from rejection. They're coming from initial acceptance. They're coming out of abandonment. They're coming out of insecurity. They're coming from somewhere, but they're not coming from the Lord. That's what I am saying. Depression, that's another issue. Depression's not normal. Anger, off the chain, take it from me, it's not normal. Um, I used to have social anxieties. That's why I know there's no such thing. Something evil. Social anxieties. I used to force myself up. I came to Christ, I didn't want to be in the room with people. I'd go to church in the home and then I'd hear like God. And I just kept trying to do I was I was just gonna make myself do what the Lord told me to do. Or what I felt like my pastors at the time were telling me to do. They'd tell me, I'd be like, 
go, or do you need to go to the college in Peru? I'm like, okay. And I went and I met Sherry. That was awesome. A couple years in, but I never know last time. But you know, they're pushing me. But I'm in this environment, I'm freaked out. And here's a guy who has no social anxiety. She's like, hey, man. Hold <laughs> on. Yeah. I'm up at 530. I'm like, I'm not up. You know? And he would he'd walk me around the room. And he'd be like, I'm going to introduce you to three people. And then after introducing three people, he goes, I need you to introduce yourself to three people. And I, and I made myself, lo and behold, and then started making friends. You know, I had social anxieties, but I had anxieties in me, and I had to heal the root of those anxieties. There was a reason why I had the anxieties. I was dealing with wounds. I'm working with dealing with wounds. You can deal with wounds. So the anxiety is there. I'm not saying the anxiety is not there. But I am telling you that I don't have any social anxiety now at all. I think, well, you walk in the room like the only one. I'm like, I don't know. I'm just walking in the room. I'm not doing anything intentional, but what's happened is it's a complete inversion of what it was. I used to be, I didn't want to walk in the room. You know? And when I walked in the room, people could probably smell social anxiety all over me. Crazy. Jesus makes you what you are not. He loves you too much to leave this thing. You come to Christ, your life's going to change. A better version of you, an entire, not even a better version, an entirely new version of you. And it's not a better version, it's a new version of you. Compulsive behavior, negative emotional responses. That's big. That's big. Ego and pride is the end of the change. That's what happens. People will come talk, they'll go, you know, why do you negatively respond? Why does that person get under your skin so bad? Why do you respond negatively to that? I don't know, that person just bothers me. What you need to do is ask yourself why. Why? We, we, I just had this conversation with a very devout believer, and I told him, the problem with seasoned Christians is we have learned the game. And we know how to insulate ourselves and play religious pretenses. We know. We know. We're all school dinners. Me too. I just tear them down. I tear them down. I offend people. Not because I love people, I offend the religious because they want me to be religious. I'm not religious. I'm not. You need to talk like a pastor and dress like a pastor. I get it. I, I honor the position I've been given. But I refuse to posture in that way. I refuse. Jesus, Jesus turned it all on his head, man. He, he turned it all on his head. He broke every one of their customs, not because he wanted to, but because he was showing it. He was empty and nothing. That was a producing kind of change. This is where change comes from. Amen. Right? So the point is, is that what happens as Christians is that we can't oftentimes deal with our issues because we've insulated ourselves. We've learned how to religiously insulate ourselves. And we are proud. And we don't like to acknowledge that we don't have the answer. And we don't like to acknowledge that there's actually a problem with us in a sense of where there's, there's issues. We want to continually blame other people or act like we've forgiven when we're deeply wounded and we can't. There's resentment that's just stewing the deep surface, and we just want to act like, oh no, I forgive you. Why are you forgive There's no thoughts of murder, no thoughts of death or death. My point being is that we have to come out of that world. You can stay in that world. Go around the mountain to Israel did 40 years. He gave them promises. He said, the land's yours as far as near to near, as far as you can see and beyond. I'm giving it to you. You have to cross the river of your fear. You have to cross the Jordan at high water. Meaning, he didn't send them across that river at 
low water. He sent them across the river at its peak. The water was raging. They had to cross the river of their fear in order to go to the promises. And if they would not cross the river of their fear, they could die on that. They could die on the other side of the promises, just like everybody else. Oh, Jesus would never let me die to the promises. Oh, yes, he would. I think he does it all the time. I, for one, don't want to die out. I'll, 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 I don't care if the river takes me. I'm, I'm getting out of that river one way or another. If I jump in the river of fear and it takes me 30 miles out of, outside the goal, I'm, I'm getting out of that river and I'm going to walk back to where I need to be. I refuse to live outside the promises of God, but you're free to do so. It's important that you know that. There's no mandate on you that you have to take a promise sign. You come out of darkness, you're born again, you're free. But if you want promises, you've got to confront the fear. You've got to cross the river of fear. You've got to go into the darkness. You've got to deal with the jagged edges. You don't have the ability, but you need to learn the Holy Spirit process. This is how we grow. It's not an issue of learning the culture within the church and pretending like everybody else. That's what we do. We make religious statues and religious robots that mimic each other on Sunday morning. Yes. It produces no change. Nothing. No change. We're the same. Oh, we look good. We all smell good. We got nice ties on, good haircuts. Can we go to Rainbow instead? There's one inside. Yeah, I'm not talking about but we, we end up mimicking each other to this point. That's what I'm trying to say. God is not, God wants to release the uniqueness within you in the freest way possible. We, we are, the, beauty, the beauty of the kingdom is the diversity of the personalities and, and just all of the diversity on every level of the people, all of us moving into freedom, all of us becoming more and more the new version of us and the rhythm. Jesus, we're all becoming that. That's where the beauty lies. The beauty doesn't lie in robots now. When you go to some churches, I don't know about you, you don't know if y'all get out much, but when I go to churches, it's like most of them are robots. Robots. You come in here, we got skinny jeans, we don't have any smoke machines. We got dress pants, we got t-shirts, we got shorts, we got dresses, we got slacks, we got hair done, we got hair and ponytail, we got makeup on, we got no makeup on. We got singing, we got dancing, we got holding of the hand, we got a little clapping, we got flags going on. What's your, what's your flavor? We're, we're, you know, we're not robots. We're not robots. But in some churches, it's like robots. I mean, literally, you can almost tell. It's like this is a, this is not, this is not a culture of transformation. It's a culture of confirmation. Yeah. We're conforming, conforming, conforming. Under Christ, no, under each other. So that we can find acceptance within the group. I want you're accepted in the group. Nothing further is needed. You need to do anything further. You see, Christ, you're in, man. Now it's becoming who he's created you to be. Not who, not who offends me, right? Uh, you know, like some of you, it's like, you know, lifting hands isn't your thing, okay? Flags aren't your thing, okay? It doesn't matter. It doesn't, we're not telling you that's what you think. You know? That's not what we're saying. Dresses just aren't your thing, Pastor. I'm saying. Right? We're in jeans, right? We're jeans. No sweatpants. Come on, sweatpants. There's no, there's no, you know, criteria. If you want to wear a three-piece suit, go for it. There's a guy one time he used to come here and he used to wear a three-piece suit. He said, man, I love this church. And the church, he said, but I just noticed nobody wears suits. I said, that's okay. He said, I might have a place. Well, I just said, no. Then he went from a suit to a suit to a, to a jacket and a tie. Yeah. One of the guys that was here, he's like, man, you keep coming here. Shorts, buddy. <laughs> Let's pray this, all right? So that's the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. So I want you to get like the Holy Spirit's going to talk to you this week. 
telling you. I'm asking he's going to tell you. If you listen, I'm going to talk to him in this context. Write the things down that he's showing you. You may not know how to deal with what he's showing you, but please write it down. Okay? So let's just pray this prayer. Let's pray this prayer. Say, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, I give you permission. I give you permission to reveal my blind spots. I ask you, I ask you to reveal them spiritually. I ask you, I ask you to show me the patterns of my thinking that is contrary to you and to your kingdom. In my personality, that you've shown me where others have said I am wrong. And that you show me in that in that area where the strength is. And that you teach me how to redeem it. I ask you to reveal my blind spots emotionally. And I'm giving you permission to show me the root of that behavior. I believe that everything that you show me is for my good. I believe that you love me. I believe that you are for me and not against me. I want to go on this journey and I want to be all in Jesus' name. So good, guys. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause His face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you. May you be peace. May you forever live in His name. God bless you. We love you. We should have a prayer team over there. There's people over there. You definitely tell me that we'll have a prayer team. We pray for anything. Bless me. Yeah, he didn't say how to go.